0: Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go.
1: On this episode of Beyond the Bump, we chat to Dr. Jodie Richardson about how we can help our little ones with anxiety, but the chat also unintentionally spanned to parents with anxiety and anxiety in general, as we felt it was all relevant and each impacted the other. We hope you find this episode as helpful as we did.
0: Hello Jody. <laughs> welcome to Beyond the Bump Potty. Would you be able to introduce yourself and let us know what you do?
2: I can, thank you so much for having me guys. The bottom line is I'm really passionate about supporting parents and teachers to understand anxiety so that the kids that need the help can get the help so that parents and uh, adults in their lives can understand what it is they're going through, can know what to look for. So they can head off to the GP to get some extra support if needed and uh, I spend my time speaking to groups of parents and teachers and uh, also writing books so I'm an author and a speaker.
1: Amazing and what got you into this line of work?
2: My own personal experience I think it's, it's the saying that we make our work out of our wounds <laughs> and uh, well it's taken a long time for me to get to where I am now I was always on this journey I've had anxiety since I was a child and uh, I think I've always been an educator I was a teacher to start with I've done a lot of uh, postgraduate study I have a real love of learning and a love of sharing and a real passion about um, mental health so that's kind of the, the journey in, in, a, in a under 25 words or less. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic and overall I know there's a lot of different areas of anxiety but overall can you let us know what anxiety is?
2: Yeah so really what anxiety is is it's our mind and our body's response to in anticipation of a threat so a really nice way to think about it is comes from an example of mine actually as a kid I used to get 25 cents in my pocket so I'm showing my age here (laughs) um I used to get 25 cents. Um, my brother did too and we could walk to the local milk bar and there was a magpie in one of the blocks of land we used to cut through and on the day I got swooped, I reacted, you know, with you know a bit of a panic and I was very fearful. And so that's fear. That's when we're presented with a danger and a threat in the moment. But every other day that I walked through that land, I had an anxious response in anticipation of what could happen and what could go wrong. And that was a very normal response because something had gone wrong. So it was fair enough that my brain and body wanted to keep me safe if that happened again. But what happens with anxiety is that we're often so anxious about uh, imagined threats and perceived threats and lots of, you know, what ifs and wonderings and future thinking about what could go wrong but what we need to know is that our brain and our body respond in the same way, whether there's a real threat or whether or not we're just thinking about something that's really worrying us. And, uh, you know, normal anxiety is, you know, preparation. You know, I'd get anx- anxious in preparation for if I would be swooped, I'd get through the land, get to the milk bar, buy my lollies and my anxiety would settle down and that's really normal.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: What's, what's sort of a problem is when anxiety doesn't settle down after the stress has passed. And, you know, that's what we're seeing a lot of in a lot of children and a lot of adults, especially at the moment. And that's been the experience of me uh, across my whole life as well.
1: Now, Jade, I see you nodding your head off. <laughs> Is there anything you would like to add to that? I mean, you've been very open about your
0: experiences
1: with anxiety.
0: Is yeah, I as I said before we started, and I think I've mentioned on uh, mentioned on a few of our episodes, I have had and suffered from anxiety and a panic disorder since I was probably four or five years of age. And there wasn't a lot of resources out there to understand what I was going through and when I was in year 12 or it might have even been year 11 I had about two months off school because I was dizzy and I had I had head scans cat scans I had the whole works and they couldn't work out what it was and then the last resort my parents said, Oh, well, let's just take you to a, a psychologist and, you know, maybe you need to talk about something. And it did it, it unfolded that, you know, all these physical issues that I actually had resulted in anxiety and panic and I would have restless night's sleeps of hideous nightmares and then it resulted to you know not being able to go out in public on trains because I would have a phobia of what if something would happen so I had fear of fear all the time and there was just portions of my life where it would flare up and I wouldn't be able to control it. And then the, the worst time I've ever had this happen was when I gave birth to my third daughter, Yumi, and I ended up having a concoction of anxiety, panic and depression. And so I was completely out of my own depth, out of my own self, And I have never felt so frightened in my life for something that I couldn't control. I felt like I was genuinely going mad, like I had to go to a mental asylum because it just didn't make sense why I was feeling the way I was feeling. It took a fair few months for me to actually calm my mind down and train it to think differently, but it has been a ginormous journey and I notice that my middle child suffers from a lot of anxiety. And as a mother and a person that has gone through this her whole life, I really want to find ways that I can help her get through this and and deal with it in a way that she doesn't have to, you know, wonder why she feels like this and is it normal? You know, all the uncertainties that we have with anxiety, because if you don't know it and you don't understand it, you do feel crazy.
2: You, you do and and I, I think your story and you know you it takes a lot of courage i think for, for people to talk about their story and and you saying that there will probably be you know there will be countless women who'll be nodding their head and and who hopefully by now have recognized what they went through but when you are experiencing those sorts of challenges and you know i can relate to a lot of what you were saying personally it is it, it's so frightening and you just you, you feel like you're the only one that no one will ever stand, and that you really do wonder if life will ever be the same, and how you're going to cope as a parent as well. How am I going to parent? You'd had your you'd had your third child. You had two other little ones, no doubt, really counting on you. And it, it's especially hard to to manage your own recovery and healing and look after yourself when you you know the parent of three kids it's hard to manage yourself when you're the parent of three kids and you're perfectly healthy I mean it's full-on
0: and I also Um, you like you've given me goosebumps even us just talking about this situation because I haven't thought about it for a very long time but you know even your partner as much as they want to support you they have no idea how to understand and support something like this so the fights and arguments that we had were just unbelievable. And I, my only way, sadly, my only way to get through it was to go and seek professional help because they truly understood and to go to the hospital when I felt like I couldn't help myself anymore. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And it was really, it was really great that you were able to do that. And and by the sounds of things, you found a professional, a psychologist that was able to be a good support to you. And, and that, that can be a challenge as well, because uh, for some people, it's not the right fit the first time and then it just sort of makes a, a really bad situation worse because then you're still searching to try to find the person that can uh, can support you through it. So it's wonderful that you're able to do that. And I often say to people and, you know, I, I say that finding a good psychologist for us women, it's like finding a good pair of jeans. You have to try a few on sometimes. Yeah. We're lucky if the first pair is the right fit. And, you know, for me personally, it was my third psychologist that, was the most amazing, stable, uh, understanding professional uh, influence in my life when I was going through my own mental health challenges. But you know, the first two, you know, I was losing faith in whether or not yeah. they I'd ever be able to get the help I needed. So yeah. I think that's it's a really it's a really great message for people that you know if you do. Seek the help and it's not the right person. You Go back to your GP. Ask around for a word of mouth referral from friends and families. That's often a really great way. And um, go back to your GP and ask for another referral to someone else.
0: And I agree with um, the GP because my I, I've always been someone that has just gone, oh, I'll see anyone. It doesn't matter. And then I... I came to this one GP and he immediately took me serious enough to go this this woman needs help and he just went on to it he said I'm going to get you into a psychologist straight away I'm going to get you into this person straight away a psycho every time I needed something I I kept coming back and I'm saying I'm there's something wrong there's something wrong he was so in tune with what was happening before I even knew that he was sorting out all solutions so I can't even you know he saved my life really and to have a GP to know your family history and then your children's history I think is such an important thing. I think anxiety is particularly difficult because I think you know
1: a lot of us live very busy lives right now and at times stressful lives and I think I'm not someone who's ever suffered from, you know, what I would say would be like a pathological anxiety, you know, but of course I felt stress and anxious and fearful of things at times. And so I think it can be the only time I feel like I've felt it in a way that was unhealthy was when I was pregnant with my second daughter. I felt like I went through a bit of antenatal anxiety, just, yeah, that real fear, but I couldn't even, an anxiety that couldn't even tell you what i was stressed or anxious about and so i think that it can be hard for people if they haven't been through it to understand like oh yeah we all have stress but but where is the line where no we can't ignore this we we need help so we will get into that but this is enough of an issue for us as adults to get Mm. our heads around how do we describe what this is to our children
2: Mm. It's really important our kids understand what's happening. It's really freeing for them, uh, for someone to say that, you know, you're having, and what, what you were saying before, Jade, about the physical side of it, that, you know, the anxious reaction is, you know, it goes on in, in between our ears, you know, and what we think and all the worry, but it's equally a very physical mm. reaction as our whole body is geared up for, you know, for defence, for mm. safety, for fight or flight, And so, When often what can happen is if you don't know what all the physical sensations are that come with it, that can just make the whole problem worse because it gives you more to worry about. Why are my hands trembling? Why have I got blurry vision or spots in my vision? Why is my heart racing? Mm -hmm. So I think with that, having a script that's age-appropriate. So there's an amazing book called Hey, Warrior by Karen Young who has a website called Hey Sigmund and uh, she's done a really beautifully illustrated book to explain anxiety to young children, what happens in the brain and the body and also in our book Anxious Kids we've done two scripts for primary school and secondary school aged kids where parents can tailor the script to, to say you know this thing that you've been going through it's got a name you know this is your amazing body Preparing you to be, you know, in a position to really keep yourself safe and help children to understand that there's a really great reason we get anxious when it's under normal circumstances and to explain to them all of the reasons that they feel what they feel and that, you know, there are ways, really tangible ways that they can help to calm their system. And to let them know that it's really normal, everybody experiences it. But sometimes it does spill over, like you were saying before, Mm. Sophie, that, you know, it does spill over into becoming more of an issue. And, you know, we can talk later about how we might recognize that we have a child in our home that might need some more help. But really getting to the bottom of what's going on in the brain and the body with kids in a way that is right for their, you know, their level of understanding is a really lovely way to help them to feel uh, understood and to understand themselves.
0: And how does it generally manifest in children?
2: Yeah, lots of how worries. Long do we have? <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's a long, long list. Yeah, so a really great way for parents to think about it, you know, for any parents that are listening that might sort of be sort of wondering about their own children you know and, and again normal anxiety settles down after a stress has passed so it's natural to be anxious if you're doing your first live broadcast or you you're delivering a you know a presentation to kids in your class or if if you're doing something that's completely new that's natural but we, we break the the uh, signs and symptoms down into sort of three categories so there's the way kids feel and that's in terms of racing heart increased uh, breathing rate Blood being shunted from the digestive system to the arms and the legs which can make tummies feel really sick and uh, that's because the digestive system isn't needed when we're trying to run for our lives or fight for our safety. So digestion gets really, you know, put on the back burner and upset tummies is really common. You know, also lots of big emotions, so lots of tears or, or anger, big feelings. Part of the brain that sort of sounds the alarm is the emotional processing part of the brain. So, you know, big emotions can go hand in hand with anxiety. You know, there's things like dots in the vision and maybe, you know, a bit of a trembling in the hands, which can come from lots of adrenaline pumping through the system. Yeah. So also in terms of uh, how kids think, lots of worries and lots of what if questions and lots of catastrophic thinking. So, you know, worst case scenario, you know, and worrying that the worst will happen. And also uh, in terms of behavior. So there's sort of how it affects how they feel physically and emotionally, how they think. And in terms of behaviour, there's a lot of avoidance. So anxious kids will want to avoid what it is that's making them feel really Mm. worried and anxious. They can find it really hard to concentrate, to sit still, to focus generally can just have have a really hard time in the classroom to learning because of all of everything else that's going on oh, with your them. mind is so busy so busy it's so hard to focus on maths when you are wondering truly whether or not your parent will be alive to pick you up at the end of the day yeah you these yeah. there's some of the worries what age do
1: children generally start to show some of these signs younger and younger
2: right I know that Jade you were saying you were four Mm. I thought I was dying
0: it started thinking that I was dying in my sleep at night and my dad would have to lie next to me and try and talk me out of that that state but that was the first I guess big panic and an anxiety attack that I would have and it was around then
2: oh gosh it's um Yeah, it's not uncommon to see that. I was four as well and it's only in hindsight, isn't it, that we can look back and go, right, now I understand. I I have had parents speak to me about three-year-olds but what's important to know is that there are uh, developmental anxieties that children, you know, go through over time. You know, fear of strangers is a developmental Mm -hmm. anxiety but if there's still, you know, a fear of strangers when your child You know, obviously we we need to be safe and and the like, but in terms of, you know, know, not everyone's our friend, but, you know, if you've got a 12-year-old who's still exhibiting the same fear that, you know, a toddler experiences or an infant, then obviously that's not lining up with what sort of falls into that developmental, those developmental stages. So separation anxiety is another one that, you know, that is a developmental anxiety, but when you have got a grade five that really struggles to have a sleepover, then we know that that's, you know, that's a challenge that might need some help to work through.
1: How can you tell even with, say, a toddler where separation anxiety to a degree is a normal stage of development? Like is there anything that delineates between, okay, that's normal separation anxiety and no, that's, that's extreme mm. or probably abnormal?
2: Yeah, look, it's hard, isn't it? Because there's no sort of there's no sort of line that we can draw. Yeah. But I think we'll know will know their children. And, and sometimes, you know, if if a, if a child, for example, is having a terrible time separating at daycare, but they'll separate at everyone else's place, then maybe there's something going on. You know, maybe maybe they are anxious and stressed for a reason. Maybe there's a child that bops mm. them on the head, you know, or steals their sandwich or. You know, maybe there's something that's going on. So I think if parents can sort of look at a behaviour across a range of um, domains, if you like, life domains, but but also knowing that uh, you know sometimes children, you know, in different in different spaces will feel safer. You know, if if daycare is only once a week or it's if it's a new room, mm. um, you know, but but generally speaking, over time they do tend to settle in become more comfortable. So. I'd be looking at as a parent, you know, where is it happening to what extent and over what period of time? Which And I always always like to say to people, you know, just go and ask the question. I mean, I went and asked the question of our GP a few times when our kids were little, just sort of saying, I'm noticing this, I'm a bit worried, what do you think? And he'd say, look, I'm actually not worried, you know, come and see me again in 12 months or six months if it's still something that's bothering you. Or come back next week if it's still bothering you. But, you know, it's always really nice to get that sounding board of advice just to sort of put it in the perspective of a health professional and who knows you and your family Mm. and uh, see. Wow. Well.
0: see with my I've got three girls and they've all obviously got different personalities but we all have you know we, we we all have the same bath time and the same tea time we do the same things on weekends they're all doing similar things except for the middle child who I reckon she was two and had this phobia of being in the water and never wanted water over her head and then that would stem to being in the ocean then it went to the pool and then it, you know, it would be bumpy roads. So she doesn't like bumpy roads. She'd cry if we went on bumpy roads. And then um, now that she's in kindergarten, she tells me she has a sore tummy and that she needs to go to the toilet to wee. Every hour she she needs to go to the toilet and she doesn't actually need to go to the toilet. It's a mental... Like a know, manifestation yeah, it's a, right? yeah it is yeah. and she I just can tell that this anxiety somehow and I'm not sure where it's stemming from but there is a growth um and, it, and is getting it's it's growing with her in all different ways. So I just, it blows my mind that you can see, I mean, I i think I can perhaps see it more so because I'm understanding of anxiety, but I do watch her and I just, I feel for her. And I don't know, I really, I don't know ways to to help her around these issues.
2: I oh, know. Oh goodness. It, it's so painful, isn't it? Because if you've been through it, you know, and you know, we, we want to protect our kids and we don't want our kids to go through what we've been through, but you know, there is that genetic component. Uh, well, we were we going to ask that so, question?
0: Is it genetic?
2: Yeah, there's it's a lot of reasons why people end up anxious, and one of them uh, is genetic. Even you know, even in a family where there's one parent who's severely anxious, one of the children might be anxious, the other one might not be. So it's you know, there's there's no hard and fast rules around that. But it, in around thirty to fifty percent of cases, there's a, a hereditary component, definitely, certainly other things and and I'll come back to what you were saying Mm. about your your little poppet in a moment but you know just in in terms of you know life experiences and stresses in in terms of what's going on in the family uh, can play a role um, any trauma that the child might have experienced uh, you know for a whole variety of reasons you know how and and parenting as well because you know we are biggest role models for our children and you know, I know I jump a mile whenever I cut a vegetable on a plate and the knife scrapes on the ceramic plate. It just goes through me. And I react in this mm. really raw way. And now my daughter does the same. And it's like, oh, she's just I feel like she's just she's just role modelling that behaviour. And yes. <laughs> so it's it can be contagious in a way. They do learn how to respond based on us. And you know, we can't help that. You know, we're doing the best job that we can and um, you know, we're we're human and part of what our, our role is, is to um, is to talk through emotions and difficulties and, and even our own when we're feeling stressed and anxious. If it's spilling into family life, we, we might need to take ourselves away for a cuppa and a chat with a friend or a walk. But if we are around our family to let them in on what's going on and be open and honest and cope out loud so our kids can learn from our own experiences and how we manage our own mental health and wellbeing so that they can do the same when, you know, as, as they grow. Coming back to your your little one, two and a half, did you say? She's
0: she's currently now five years of age.
2: Yeah. What's really interesting is that, you know, there's also sensory processing issues that some children have. And so perhaps with, you know, and they're, they're not, you know, I mean, I have it with noise. If noises are too high, it just grates on me. So my threshold for noise is much lower than my threshold for many other things, but it doesn't stand in the way of me living a, a full life. It's just that I know that about myself. And and for some children that's the case too, that certain sensations and perhaps it was water was just something that was just she had a really low threshold for. Mm. But anxiety can change o- over time and, you know, as you get bigger you get new experiences and did the does it always necessarily
0: have to link like say she has a fear of water is it because her you know perhaps her sister secretly drowned her and I wasn't watching and that's why she doesn't like water or is it can it be completely irrelevant to water she just has some sort of association and now she doesn't like it if that makes sense like it just spontaneously develops can that happen
2: Look, it's not—it's not an area that I have a great amount of experience in when it comes to sensory processing. Um, but I'd love to put you in touch with Hannah Gamble, who's amazing when it comes to this sort of information. But you know, sometimes it can be—it can be an experience that that might seem innocuous to us, mm, and we no. might have even been present at the time. It could have been a, you know, water in the eye or mm. or something happening that that you know, happen in front of us and we just don't realise that it's had, had an effect on them. But there, there's a lot, there's quite a lot of com- complex reasoning behind uh, sensory processing and also how to support children to raise their threshold and to manage better and to adapt to certain sensory processing challenges. Um, and so that's something that, you know, can be worth looking into for some parents as well.
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because the other night my daughter, my daughter who's two and a half, she there was some wind at the window and it was banging the blind on the window. And she was adamant that there was a tiger out there. And so obviously at some stage recently, because this was the first time she'd ever brought up any kind of fear of a tiger. Have you been of, watching that show? What is it? Tiger. Oh, Tiger King. <laughs> 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 yes. Oh, there we go. Yeah. She's scared I've of Harold. <laughs> no. And, and yeah, so there must have been some show or... Or movie or something that she's watched, and we haven't even realised that there's been a scary tiger in it, and and it, it's obviously really got to her because she was just adamant there was a tiger at the window, and I kept saying no, it's wind, it's wind, and she kept going, so there's no tiger out there, and I said no, there's no tiger out there. But as you say, it can be something that we completely miss as a
2: trigger. Yeah, it, it can be, and and you know, our, our inside our heads, if you know, if we had thought bubbles telling everyone what we were thinking, gosh, you know, oh, we no. <laughs> we don't. Um, Ever yeah, get two steps down the street? It'd be fascinating to see what's going on inside everyone's head. It's you like know, what women have...
1: want—that yes. movie. Yes,
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, there's so many thoughts, and in light of what you were sort of saying before, Jade, about you know how, how one of the ways in you know supporting her, knowing that you can see that this this is this anxiety is underlying. You know that that there, there's so much that we can do, and one of the things that is so challenging for all of us, even as adults, is. The, You know, it's the way we think and how much uh, we get sort of hooked into the stories that come into our thinking. And so when she's thinking that there's a a tiger out the window, in her mind there is a giant cat with very sharp claws and very sharp teeth just waiting to get through into her bedroom. Mm. And so you, you can understand when we just put ourselves in their shoes for just that second that, gosh, that, that's, that's really, you know, that's a terrifying thought. And so one of the things that, you know, I've done with our kids here in our home and that we talk about a lot with parents and teachers is helping children to notice when they're thinking because, and, and adults as well equally, uh, this has been life-changing for me personally with my own anxiety, is being able to recognise that I'm having a thought rather than being lost in that thought I'll give you an example. So, you know, those of us with anxiety often feel as though uh, we've done something to upset someone. So, if we don't get a wave in the car park at school drop-off or something happens, it's really common to think, what did I do? uh, They're upset with me and sort of try to go back and work out why, even though there's no good reason they just didn't see you. (laughs) And so, You know, if you get lost in that thought, your whole body can react to that. You can start to feel sick in the stomach and really so full of worry. And it's called getting fused with a thought. You're just so hooked into it that you can't actually focus on anything else. And it's it's as if it were real. Whereas if we can teach kids and ourselves to notice that we are having a thought, we get to look at the thought rather than through it and from it. And it gives us distance and it gives us an opportunity to then reroute our focus and turn our attention to other things so for your little five-year-old who's showing some signs of you know what you're observing is anxiety and even for little kids and and metacognition is the name for this being able to notice our thinking develops over time and it's it's really developing quite strongly towards the latter part of primary school so it takes a while it's such an amazing thing to be able to do so if one of my children said, uh, came home, you just let's just say he said, I'm just shocking at soccer. Well, that's not a fact, that's just a thought. So I'd say two things. I'd say, is that helpful? To which he would answer no. And then I'd say, all right, well, let's get some distance from that thought. Let's, and you can you can do it in lots of different ways to separate. You can, you can say as an adult, I'm having the thought that I'm shocking at soccer or I'm shocking at this. Or I notice I'm having the thought. And all of a sudden you've been pulled out of being swept away from that thought and you, you're watching that thought. You recognise it's it's only a thought in your head. It's not actually the reality of the situation. And there are other strategies that we can use for really young kids, like saying a thought in a silly voice, you know, getting their best Darth Vader happening and, you know, repeating a thought and helping them see that thoughts are really just a bunch of words. But when we really fuse with them and we lock onto what, the thoughts are telling us, it can be really devastating for our mental health and our well-being and our happiness. So being able to teach a five-year-old just to start using that language about even with yourself. I'm having a thought that so-and-so's waiting on a phone call from me. That's not helpful. What can I do? All right, well, I want to finish the dinner and then I might make that phone call. And just starting to use this language so kids can get this sense that They they are not their thoughts. They have thoughts. And And with
0: Poppy's little tiger scenario, could you, and I don't know what age you could do this, but I was just thinking, could you sit down with her and go, well, Poppy, that's just a thought that you're actually having. What does the tiger look like? And could we possibly change the picture of what the tiger looks like? We could say that the tiger actually has like really fluffy ears and a, it doesn't have sparky, spiky teeth. It's actually really cute. And it's got a mummy outside. Like if you change the, the way of the story that is in her head to a a kinder, happier, lighter one, is is that possible and and would that help
2: um, you, you could try that and it, and it can work in the moment but over over the long term we can't change what we think and so what what helps is to at that age is to say things like oh you so you're so you're you're having a thought are you that there's a tiger out the window oh so that's the idea that's in your head so okay so okay so you could you could ask her to tell you a, a little bit about it but really helping her to notice that this is this is an idea this is a thought she's having and and then you can can open the window and look of course you can and then you can say all right so you're having that thought is that helpful and you know you when they're really little we talk it through and we often answer for them don't we we say is that helpful that's not a helpful thought is it so what is helpful? What could we do now? How about we get out a book or how about we, um, put on a talking book or, you know, if it's bedtime, I'm just trying to think of, you yeah. know, how about we tell each other a story about our day and, and redirect their attention to something that, that is meaningful and, and helpful. important yeah. in that moment. Yeah. That, that's yeah. a strategy that you could, you could try.
0: Mm.
1: What are signs that it is time to seek further help and that, you know, maybe you do need to start the process of possibly getting a diagnosis?
2: Yeah, so if, if the anxiety isn't settling down after a stressful event has passed, if, if it's becoming extreme and it's really getting in the way of their day-to-day functioning, there's are some of the reasons to go and seek help. I always like to say to parents that even if you're not sure, go and ask the question of your GP. Because just the fact that you are thinking about it might be enough uh, to warrant going and having that conversation Mm. because, you know, certainly anxiety can be protracted when there is an ongoing challenge. You know, if there is a kid at school that's not treating them well or they're particularly struggling with getting onto a team that they want to get on to and they're having trouble developing skills and it, it's something that's really important. It's provoking anxiety. Sometimes until a situation is resolved, it won't settle. But even under those circumstances, there's so much that can be done to help. Mm. Yeah, I'd say if it's becoming extreme, getting in the way of them being able to do what they would normally do each day, it's impacting the family and it's just not settling down and there's no apparent stressor or good reason, or good reasons to go and ask the question. And I guess the team there's
1: team. no harm in flagging something early because then if you were to return you've kind of already flagged it so you can discuss the progress I guess from that first point whether it's improved or gotten worse and it's in also that time.
0: it's also a fine line like you don't want to you know just say your child's scared of going to school you don't just pull them out and go oh, well they're scared at the time so let's just not do it it's a fine line of you know wanting to encourage encourage them to move forward past this anxiety period or whatever the issue is but you also don't want to you know just cuddle them and and hide them from this issue because you're going to have it probably yeah. once
1: you open I mean that was our next question if your child has anxiety is it better to make them face it or should you help them avoid it
2: mm, gosh you guys have nailed it, it mm. it's really hard Oh, I and it's <laughs> <laughs> it's um we talk about sort of the the dog and this cat side of being a parent and you know and not dog in a derogatory way at all but the, the the dog personality is more warm and fuzzy and you know kind of like the person that just wants you know wants to give you a hug and you know just an effusive hello and big greeting when you see them versus a cat who has a personality that's a little bit more uh Pitching. steady and no, still joking. and <laughs> <laughs> um you know not not as warm and fuzzy and You know, the warm and fuzzy is what kids need in terms of, you know, when they are anxious, you know, for us to be able to say, oh gosh, I know that this is really hard for you. And, you know, I have felt like that too. And all of that lovely, beautiful empathy and validation Mm -hmm. that they need telling us they're anxious or showing us versus the more cat side of the personality that says, look, I know you're really anxious. This is important how can we work together to get you where you need to be? And, you know, sometimes that in a partnership, not everyone's in a relationship, but someone's in a partnership that's naturally one parent that's, you know, a bit more cat and one parent that's a bit more dog. But I'm a cat, my husband's a dog,
1: and I think I'm the cat and you're the dog. <laughs> I'm cat-dog. Oh, you're both. You're perfect.
0: <laughs> yeah, I have a balance. No, I'm dog for sure. Yeah, I have a balance. I'm dog for sure. Yeah,
2: we all do too. We all we all have those different sides of us that we sort of show depending on on where we are. But we certainly lean in one way or the other. And yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when it comes to a really difficult challenge, like you were saying before, Jade, about um, about not wanting to go to school. I mean, yes unfortunately when kids don't do the things that really worry them it just makes it worse because the anxiety and the worries in their head build because they haven't had any evidence to the contrary and so it just perpetuates it we talk about sort of step laddering and inching kids closer to what's important you know step by step by step and sometimes it's a couple of steps forward and a step back yeah but yeah that's that's it's a it's a it's a hard line to walk sometimes it is
0: and even in high school years I remember after having you know a couple of months off dealing with anxiety I would be dropped off and I'd probably walk to be honest a few hundred meters and then have an actual panic attack and have to go straight back in the car and go home and this took like a fair a few weeks to just try and try again and then I'd get a little bit further and I'd sit down at the rotunda and then I'd have a panic attack probably you know maybe an hour after I got there but it was me and my mind thinking you know what you've done you've done a little bit further than you did last week you're doing really well and I slowly mentally got my head around to understanding that but yeah it is it's just I guess just having, you know, going through being a child with anxiety to a teenager with anxiety to an adult with anxiety to a parent with anxiety, every part of it is such a frightening stage. Yeah, because I guess your responsibilities
1: get greater and greater.
0: Totally. As well, yeah. And you're just still confused in all of it. Like you're never, ever feeling like oh yeah I'm used to this you're never ever used to it no
2: yeah it's 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 terribly hard and the stakes get higher the older we get once we're responsible for little ones then every you know lump and bump and temperature and fever and rash I don't know about about you Jade but you know that that was sort of certainly something that you know I was in the mother baby unit after having our second um, McKinley and you know I, I thought it was sleep school it's not sleep school it is Time out for parents who have psychological challenges that they need serious help with. That's what that's what that is. <laughs> the, the nurses help the baby sleep; they give you some support, but really, it's about looking after the parent. And yeah, you know, it, it is hard, and that anxious feeling of, you know, it's it sort of it can be a bit like that. That idea that there is something worrying, there is something terrible that's about to happen. This feeling of dread, this mm. feeling of fear and uncertainty, and you know, but the, the good. Thing about it is that, that there's a lot that we can do and I think acceptance is something that helps us in many ways not to have to you know in the same way that if we forgive someone we're not condoning what they did we're making a choice to let it go for our sake mm. you know acceptance isn't about going well yeah I've got anxiety Woo-hoo, I'm really you know so thrilled about that. it <laughs> it's, it's about going you know what I, I, I have this mental illness and I don't like it and I don't like how it makes me feel but it's the fight with anxiety that can sort of really ramp it up and amplify it and make a hard life harder yes and I wrote wrote in the the book about sort of dropping the rope and it's expression comes from a sort of a bit of a guru psychological guru Stephen Hayes about you know if we can just drop the rope and just go you know I feel anxious I feel like this I don't like it but you know what? I can be anxious, and I can still actually do what's important, all the while using what we know helps to calm an anxious brain and an anxious body, but but not letting it stop us from doing what matters. And you know, I look at you guys here doing this amazing podcast, and you know, it takes courage to do things like that. And doing something new and and public like this, no doubt, did stir up your anxiety at the start, Jade. You know, and but it's important to you, and you did it. And, I think for all of us as parents, even if our kids are anxious, if we can help them to see that, you know, you can be anxious, but it doesn't mean you can't live a full and rich life and do amazing things and um, just kind of learn to turn the dial down on the anxiety, but um, yeah. if you have to, you just take
0: it with you. And it's important to, oh, we say this all the time, well, I definitely do, to just understand what expectations you might have of yourself and especially as a mother because i I had such high expectations to myself, thinking I am going to nail all three kids. I can do all the washing, the cleaning, the cooking. I can look after them. I won't need my husband. You know, I'm going to prove to him that I probably won't need him as much. I can do it all. And me thinking that, even I, I, I remember giving birth and the third child. I was so tired. I had to have a blood transfusion, and. She was crying and I just had no energy and I had to hand her to the nurses and I've never done that with my other two children and I punished myself. In my mind, I punished myself from not even leaving the hospital. I thought, you have already handed this child because you need help. And I was punishing myself. And then I brought that home and then the kids were fighting and I was like, I can't even deal with that. Like, And it was just like not understanding that we were living a new normal that I had to actually get my head around and my children had to get their head around and the whole family had to get their head around. But it was just it was a whirlwind of emotions. And I just I I wish I could have just understood to have no pressure and and give myself a break because I have given I have given birth I have gotten a child in my arms and yeah I just I really wish that I I knew all this information before I had my third child and perhaps maybe if I did all this wouldn't have been as bad all the you know side effects of anxiety you know what what doesn't You're kill you makes it. you yeah, stronger and you, you do you understand and you move you move forward so yeah it's just very interesting I don't think it ever gets old talking about it
2: no and I think and we really need to we really need to because you know one in one in four people will have a severe anxiety disorder in their lifetime and so if you haven't had one you know someone who has and you know I I really like to think that What we go through as, you know, as mothers, it all, even though it's so hard and we, you know, we we would rather things have been different, it it equips us in a way to help our kids Mm. um and you know, to have that compassion for other people and, and that ability to support our kids through difficult times and really show empathy in ways that we would never have otherwise been able to. And I think the more people that you know, like, like yourself and, you know, in my work too, I share a lot about my own personal journey and it really gives other people permission. Um, Absolutely. So they're not, not only going, that's me, oh, my gosh, I went through that, I didn't understand it, it's got a name, what? I mm. can get help with this. But it gives other people permission and I just encourage people all the time, just start talking about it because it's so healing as well and so many of us have been through so much of the same and, you know, and have the same challenges ahead of us. I just think it can help unite us and help us, you know, go through this these difficult, you know, difficult times and through various stages of our lives with more support and being a really good support for our families and other people as well.
1: Do you know what I find interesting is, Like, I feel like I knew it was one in four people, but you saying that then is quite staggering. I feel like things that happen far less frequently than to one in four people are seen as normal things in society. Yet something like anxiety is, and I'm not saying it's normal as in you should just cop it on the chin and get on with things. Like, I'm still saying if you need help to ask for help. But, you know, it's this taboo thing that's often not spoken about. One in four people, that is a large chunk Mm. of the community yet it's not seen as a normal thing that can be discussed
2: yeah you're you're right it is there's a stigma you know and beyond blue and I worked for beyond blue when I left teaching many many years ago and you know they've done such an incredible job of raising awareness and you know providing information support and so many amazing resources and um, work in the mental health area and just the words depression and anxiety just started to become come into our vocab back you know back in the early 2000s and mm. there's still a long way to go because a lot of people equate it with a weakness that you know that you you've got anxiety there must be uh something mm, you know that you can't you can't do things the way other people can and and a lot of people with anxiety judge themselves that way but I argue that it is in many ways a great strength because we have an understanding of ourselves in a way that other people don't. And we we do go through challenges and we move towards what's important and, and achieve our goals and often are really driven by our anxiety to do things that we otherwise wouldn't have done. It's a gift in many ways because that gut feeling, that anxious feeling is something that we can use to make decisions about you know big choices in our lives changing work staying going relationships mm. whatever it is if we can recognize and understand our own anxiety you know we can we can use that self insight and those reactions in ourselves to know you know what's the right step forward here and uh and you know to not give up on on our dreams and our goals and to keep moving towards them because otherwise we'll never settle so in many ways you know having having that and looking at it from a different perspective it's something we can take with us wherever we go and often drives us to do the things we otherwise would never have done yeah totally
0: i've been learning this year how to rein it in when it's not needed and it might be when my husband's away and i'm looking after the children at night usually i would have a panic attack but i'm learning ways to just rein that anxiety in so it doesn't consume me and it is it's learning it's always learning you're teaching Mm -hmm.
2: yourself it, it, it really is. And, you know, it can be, it, it's like, like what you were saying, you know, you've you've putting in strategies that, that are helping you. And w- what you were saying before about, you know, when there is a need for it, it's so motivating. You know, there's nothing like deadline and not quite enough time to, you know, get the anxiety going. <laughs> and, get our butts into gear to maybe finish something and um us every week and... yeah <laughs> really <laughs> yeah. <bad. laughs> but like you say Jay, when it is getting out of hand you know having those strategies is good you know and there are times we do need it we are walking to our cars at night after dinner with our friends and you know it's it's dark and there's not many people around then yes we i'd be we running we feel yeah you <laughs> know, be don't go, worry so do so worry.
1: <laughs> pretend i'm on the phone and <laughs> run oh. Okay, anyway, we'll yeah. move back to yeah. children. Yeah, sorry. sorry. <laughs> let's, let's go back
0: to the children.
1: Do you feel that after the isolation situation we've been in this year that that is going to have a negative impact on children and their anxiety?
2: Look, I do. I think that, I mean, it, there's been a very real and present threat to all of us and, you know, our kids have been well aware that they need to behave differently, they need to wash their hands much more than they probably ever have in ways that they may never have before, that we're not seeing the people, you know, and our families that we love and, and different kids of different ages will have a different understanding, you know, of exactly why that is. And we've braced them by you know, locking down at home and not going out into the big wide world and then now they're going back into the big <laughs> wide world but the threat is still there and we still have to be really careful about distancing and touching loved ones, hugging and kissing and the like. And so... You know, the the threat system is going to be switched on at a higher level in a lot of kids for very good reason and so lifeline's had a lot more calls no doubt kids helpline have had a lot more calls the bulk of their calls are around mental health and uh i think we are going to see an upshoot in challenges with anxiety not not to say that you know all of those will will become problematic over time but i think we really need to be very mindful at the moment of our kids mental health and well-being mm. and uh getting into practice in our families those routines and habits that can really help bolster their mental health you know over the long term
0: well i know in the primary schools around us they they don't let the parents in because of the pandemic so all these little kindergartens who've barely been to school have to say goodbye to their parents at the gate And that is a massive, massive thing for little people to do when they have already only just started learning, you know, at school, let alone just saying, okay, now I have to leave my mom and walk into this big giant place on my own. It's, yeah, it it is sad. And I, but look, (laughs) my middle child, yeah, their anxiety levels there, that's just another hurdle that we're going through at the moment.
2: And you know that that's the case with with lots of little kids, and yeah, I mean, I've my heart's really gone out to those to those families and to those little kids, not only sort of trying to work and and do home Mm. home learning little ones, but missing. You know, it's a big year, it's a new year. They're just settling in, and then they're pulled back out again. And the other end, we've got the the VCE kids Mm. who are really stressed about their results. And exams in this country are going ahead. In other countries, they're not. And don't know if that's the right decision for our students but that's what's happening and so that alone those things alone are causing uh, a lot of stress and anxiety Mm. let alone the lack of connection and sport and exercise and family and all the other things that make a part of a, a full life so yeah it's really tough.
1: Do you have any tips around speaking to children about big world events like the pandemic? You know, there was the bushfires in Australia right before that, you know, to keep them informed, but without cause instilling too much fear.
2: Yeah, definitely. And um, if, if kids are really little, they're probably oblivious, and uh that's 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 a good thing. For for children who know What's happening in the world around them? Yeah, I think it's it is really important that we are open and honest, but in age-appropriate ways. And and so for really little children, no doubt, parents have been through this in terms of explaining that you know there's a there's a germ, and you know it's not it's not a you know I said to our kids, look, kids kids are fine. Like we're all going to be fine. We just got to look after other people. And so sometimes you can have all the behaviours you need, the hand washing, the distancing, and everything, without the panic. And without really alarming them, I mean that was the truth in our family. But you know, in, in other families, there are elderly parents who mm. live at home, and so there is more of a threat. So, I think when it comes to any world event like this, it's important to remember that some little kids will, it, let's say, for example, a bushfire that is in another state, they might not have yet the, the spatial understanding to know that that's not like you know, at just their down the thing. road, yeah at their doorstep riots in the United States you know are they just in the local town 10 minutes up the road you know sometimes kids can draw conclusions that we don't know they're drawing so I'd say be, be honest and give brief information answer questions in age-appropriate ways mm. please keep the news off the news is Media not friendly. good it's not good And and, But all we want to do is we want to focus because we want certainty and we want resolution. And so we just keep watching, watching, watching. And um, so I think minimise your news consumption and, and especially be careful about what you're watching around the kids and have open conversations where you ask questions so you know what conclusions they're drawing and then you can have conversations to sort of, you know, support them with any worries and concerns they've got.
1: We had some listeners just send in a few examples. We, we won't go through all of them. We'll just touch on a few of them that were quite common and maybe if you could just give us some insights into Little bit of how how we can deal with with each example, if that's all right. A lot of people were saying that they have issues with their children around daycare or school drop-offs. Do you have any tips for dealing with that?
2: Gosh, I think what what happens is their whole body goes into fight or flight. They get very distressed, and there's no easy way to help settle a child when they're feeling that distressed. So what what I would do is I would really keep the communication open so that you, I mean, parents constantly reassuring the children that we are coming back and that it is for a short short period of time. But really, helped for them to settle their system is going to be what you can put into place in the moment. So I talk about striking while the iron's cold. So, um, <laughs> you know, the times, the really, you know, the highly distressed times. But in between, when you're at home, everyone's relaxed teaching children a simple grounding technique which is standing and just pushing their feet into the floor and imagining they're sort of putting roots down if they like if they want to think of themselves as a tree depending on how old they are and you know just taking a moment to just listen to some of the sounds that are around can you hear birds can you hear cars because if they tune into their senses then they're going to start to become more present And it's going to help to start calm their anxious mind and settle their system. So a grounding technique is worth practising and then saying, let's practise this when we're going into kinder. Let's Mm. teach breathing strategies because this intentional, steady, uh, slow, deep breaths in and out are the breaths that help to calm the brain. There's a part of the brain that sounds the alarm. And when we do the breathing, we start to settle that part of the brain because it's really so natural to want to say it's okay and do all the verbal reassurance but that actually isn't helpful what's helpful is using the system to come you know to, to calm down and so Breathing, whether or not that's you know hot chocolate breathing, you know Karen Young talks about pretending to blow out a hot chocolate or blowing bubbles in the car on the way. I and mean, that's going to make a bit of a mess, but okay. <laughs> lots of little things no you can that. in your you car get them out of the car. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, best hop out of the car and you know doing something that you know engages their their deep breathing, you know big breathing. And out helping to calm their system and helping them know that, and this is really key, is know that they can feel a bit scared or frightened or whatever words they want to use, and they can actually do it anyway. Because I think we grow up believing that we have to wait till everything's okay, till we feel good to do that hard thing. But we can be worried and still do what's necessary. And so I think that empathy, letting the pet child know, I really understand. I know this is really hard for you, but do you know what? I know that you can find that bravery and that courage and that you can, you know, you don't have to feel great, but we know that kinder is really important. Mummy will be back to pick you up, to do some breathing and just start to use some of those strategies because if kids don't feel heard, their behaviour is a message. So if they're not feeling heard, that like you get it, like you understand and you're just saying it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, and they're, they're going, it's say, not it's okay. Not, so if you say, I get it, I understand this is really hard for you, but you know what, you're so brave, I know you can do this, then that's that's going to help to settle their system and help them to feel more able to, to go ahead and say goodbye. Won't get rid of all the tears, you know straight away but over time they'll build that that courage and that confidence in themselves
0: i I even under, i see that with when my children fight and they come to me if you just show them your that you're understanding and you're listening they tend to just go okay you i've told you you're listening now i'm over it and i got got what i needed yeah they just want you to go are you okay that's not nice of her should i talk to her let me go and talk and then they're like yeah whatever you know, they just want to be understood. Yeah. Well, we yeah. all do, really.
2: We do. There's nothing worse than feeling, you know, we and have, we have this thing at home with Peter where he used to say, just calm down, and I would just oh. be like, oh. <laughs> got to be funny. And it's a bit of a running joke now. We see it on the TV. Someone says, just calm down, and we're like, yeah, that's always a winner. Yeah. Um, there's nothing worse than when when we're distressed for someone just to say, it's okay, it's okay, you know, you're fine, you're fine, off you go. It's like, no, I need you to hear me, I need you to listen to me, I need you to... To, to validate how I'm feeling for me. We don't just want a problem solved. We want to be heard. And, and you, like, you, like you say, Jamie, kids are exactly the same and we see it. It diffuses things much more quickly when it does. when we can yeah when we take that approach funny oh. you
1: use that example because very on in my relationship with my husband I made sure he got rid of the the phrase I think you're overreacting I was like <laughs> that's never gonna help you like th- this is a tip for you for you this has got nothing to do with me that's never gonna help you I'm never gonna respond well to that so our, <laughs> our
0: dog was I thought was dying last week and she was like coughing and choking and I'm like oh I irrationally just went you know lost the plot quick get in the car take her here my husband's very level-headed and he's like I will Jade but I'm gonna go have a shower first and get dressed I can't go down in my jocks and I'm like are you kidding me get in the car right now and then after this all Finished and she ended up being okay. She had kennel cough or whatever it was. He said, You get so razzled. And I said, After 12 years of being with me, surely you understand in this situation all you need to say to me, like reassure me and say, okay, I'm going to do that. All I want to hear is that you understand what I'm saying and I would have gone and dropped the kids off and you would have, but instead we're sitting there fighting because I'm irrational and you're saying, it's okay, I'm just going to have a shower first. Just say okay. Anyway, that's just one. That is one of many. A few people wrote in saying that their little ones have a fear
1: about going to the bathroom in places other than home. Any tips for that?
2: I think with something like that it's you know, depending on the age it'd be interesting to ask to try to ask the child if they can articulate what their worries are about it because sometimes sometimes that helps you to address what the concerns are and uh when it when it comes to you know i think with, with some of these things that It's it's just a matter of time before kids will sort of come around. In terms of step laddering, you know, for something like this, sort of like inching them towards that that ultimate goal. You know, the public toilet down at the local shopping centre might be too hard, but could they use the toilet at Nan's house or or a really close friend's house? And when you when you're doing this, it takes a bit of time and planning, but work work with your little one together to come up with some really lovely social rewards along the way. So. So it's, it's incentive for them, but rather than money to spend at the milk bar, you know, or something like that, it's nice to say, well, mummy will go, it's still a food reward, I suppose, but mummy will take you out for a milkshake or, or you know, or we'll, we'll set aside some movie time or, you know, just these lovely mm. social rewards that are going to really incentivize them to want to sort of take those steps. And, and I think really just along the way just that sort of validation just to say, look, I, I know that this is really hard and, and just asking, you know, what what would help and. And trying to get that communication going so that you can get there as the fastest way possible. Because, of course, it's not fun for anyone when you've got a little one who's toilet trained who won't use a toilet. That just, yeah, that just makes life difficult for everyone. So I hope that that's helpful. Step laddering with oh, some nice right. social work. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: is there any step laddering around fear of bedtime and the dark?
2: Mm, I think with something like that, it's helpful to use a nightlight and, you know, just sort of, in many ways, we can, you know, the lights are on or the lights are off, you know, in, in terms of darkness. And, and then there's, you sleep at a friend's house or you sleep at home in terms of separation anxiety. Sometimes it can feel like it's a, it's an either or. But I think with things like that, having, having that middle ground that you know finding finding the middle ground and and again having those conversations to say there aren't there are developmental anxieties around these you know monsters under the bed Mm. and who's in the cupboard and and those sorts of things so it would be about going and doing the routine having the checks and asking the child you know if they can be specific about what they're worried about talking about the helpful thinking and also using those diffusion strategies I didn't label it like that before but using that Noticing a thought, saying it in a silly voice and finding out what's comforting for them. And it could be having a talking book playing or something like that. It could be having a nightlight on, some lavender in a diffuser, which we know through the science is helpful for sleep and um, having a talking book. So a little bit of distraction as well can help. Um, mm. if it it is you know sometimes it's just developmental other times when it's becoming more of more of an anxiety there could be a need to go and seek some more help but i think trying those things would be a really good place to start
0: yeah
1: wow well that has been i cannot believe how much we've covered there i feel like we came into this wanting to focus completely on children but I think it's been beautiful talking about anxiety in children and in mothers and parents and adults as well because I think it's difficult to discuss one without the other just as our last question just any good resources targeted at parents or children
2: oh yeah there's so many so hey warrior by Karen Young highly recommend if you've got young children and you're worried about anxiety it's an amazing book she's just written another one called hey awesome and uh You know, we've Michael Gross and I wrote a book called Anxious Kids, the feedback that I've been receiving around the way that's supporting families is extraordinary. It's a book I wish my parents and teachers had when I was a kid. That was really what was underlying the writing of that book. Also, there's Beyond Blue and there's Reach Out, uh, there are a lot of really great organisations online. But really I always encourage parents, and I've said it a lot throughout the podcast, that, you know, just if, if you are unsure, uh, make the phone call to your GP. You can even do it via telehealth now. Have the conversation. And the last thing I'd like to add is that if, if you keep a, a journal of what you're observing, that can really help mm. as a parent when you are accessing resources. You'll you'll have a really good, clear idea of what's been happening if you do go to your GP you've got some notes about what you've been observing so that you're not too stressed and anxious under those circumstances to explain exactly what's been going on yeah and you know if you are interested in sharing more about anxiety learning more about it and sort of coming with me on a journey to to educate people and to learn more about parenting anxious kids and my new book coming out in november is anxious mums i'm on instagram at dr jody richardson i'd love people to join me if they like to there as
0: well we would love to and we will definitely share all those bits to our listeners but thank you so much again for coming on and (laughs) 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 sorry my husband's vasectomy booking just popped up (laughs) (laughs)
1: this
0: will be then all right we're gonna love you and leave you (laughs) Uh... thank you jody
2: Thanks for having me, guys. <laughs> bye. <you> so <laughs> see ya. See ya.
0: <gasps> Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on ya. You can also follow us on Instagram
1: at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye bye.